Let's do a, bo- a book club about a book we don't remember and see what happens. Book club. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, we're all Scott. <laughs> The Incomparable Number 551 Welcome back everybody to The Incomparable I'm your host Jason Snell This is a book club episode And we read a book (laughs) Several months ago (laughs) And now you are going to enjoy listening to people discuss a book that they might remember It'll be fun. <laughs> Let's give it a try. Uh, let me tell you who is going to try to remember this book. Aline Sims is going to try to remember it. Hello. Hello. Um, I think we postponed this recording three times, two times, two times at so, least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm just glad we made it work. I'm happy that you're here. Uh, David Lore wasn't even going to be on originally, but he's here now because we postponed it enough times that he appeared. Hello. I, I finally finished it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had enough time. <laughs> yep. Uh, and now it's I've had Tell so much time. Tell us about it, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had so much time that now I can live Scott's life totally oh, forgetting no. a book. This you is great. Do that. That's, uh, <laughs> you're referring, of course, to Scott McDulty. He's also here. Hi, Scott. Oh, Hello. See, I, I get re- <laughs> relentlessly mocked for forgetting these books that we read. And now, how does it feel, people? Oh, man, it's not good. I, I don't like being you. You don't like it. I don't, I don't like being me either. Mm. <laughs> it's a dish wow. best served cold. Erica Ensign also here. Uh, also probably doesn't remember the book. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I, I also now know what Scott feels like. So mm-hmm. See? <laughs> nobody, well. nobody should know what I feel no. like. No. Don't, don't touch me. We just hate everybody now. So... Long ago, I read this book and told people it was really good and that we should do a book club episode about it. Mm-hmm. And yes. here we and are. You were right. The book is called The Space Between Worlds. It's the debut novel of Micaiah Johnson. It's really good. I've read two great debut <laughs> novels in the last year, This, along with A Memory Called Empire. Um, uh this is a book about we're going to talk about what's in the book so uh we all liked it and i think and so you should go read it because now we're going to spoil things about it so you should not listen if you don't want to be spoiled about it it is a book about parallel universes Mm -hmm. and our main character is kara and she is traveling between the 382 accessible alternate universes as a traverser the way the system is set up and this is one of the many brilliant things about it now you could think that there'd be a uni- you know uh, an infinite number of parallel universes but what the book says is you can only travel to universes that are close enough to your own similar enough to your own the ones that are wildly divergent aren't accessible and then they even lose some that diverge so far that they're no longer accessible so you can travel to the close ones but you can't travel there if you're alive in that universe. Otherwise, uh, if that happens, you you die. It's a hard, fast rule. Painfully. You, you die painfully. Except mm, maybe you don't die, but uh, that, that's for what happens in the book. It's still, still painful. But Spoilers. Uh, the brilliance, yes, I said there would be spoilers. That's one of the spoilers right there. <laughs> Somebody doesn't die when they travel, and that's a big thing that happens. So Kara is qualified to be a traverser because she is, and all of the traversers basically, are people who are on the edges of society. This is a, this is a, whether it's our world or not, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of world where there's a city where basically wealthy people live and are comfortable. And then there's like a, an outland that's much more road warrior-y in its, uh, in in its kind of there's there's more crime and and poverty outside the city walls and you have to be work in the city for a certain number of years in order to become uh, a citizen and then have the right to actually stay there. Um, and Kara, like many of the tra- traversers, is from the outlands. They are people on the margins of society because they must have lived a life that, in most cases, got them killed. Just not this time. That's what you're looking for in a traverser. And that is a fascinating construction that Micaiah Johnson makes that allows this book to be not just a story. 
because it is an interesting science fiction story about traveling between parallel worlds and the sort of different versions of different people you find there. It definitely gave me a counterpart kind of vibe, and I like that. But it's also a very strong bit of social critique about many things, but especially, I would say, people at the margins, because this is a case where, due to the way that this thing is discovered, the only way to get to travel to parallel worlds is by explore or exploiting your world's marginal people. And that's a very, just to put it right up front there, I think is one of the things that I find most interesting about The Space Between Worlds. Anybody remember this book? <laughs> Who are you people? familiar. Well, and then plus there's the whole layer of this corporation uh, headed by this CEO who's discovered this thing and is using these traversers. And you would think the most important part of their corporation are the people that can do the traversing because they are the ones that go to these worlds and get the data and come back. Um, but it turns out that they're just hmm. these little disrespected cogs in this giant machine and they are – since they are from the margins, they are easily replaced. Exactly. Uh, not easily replaced, but they're disposable. just kind of discarded, right. disposable. They're, yes. they're, they're cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, Adam Bosch is the CEO of this. He's a, some sort of a genius, like, a, you know, he's a he's a tech genius, basically, and just as amoral. And he's, uh, he's very good at, <laughs> at having, like, his little conversations that he has, and you think he's a real person, and then you find out that... Mm, um, no, he's he is exactly what you thought. Uh, kind of he's your stereotypical tech CEO. Yeah, yeah. That, mm-hmm. it, yeah. It, that hit really close to home. As you know, many of us are <laughs> um, invested in the tech industry. I was like, hmm, this is you know like the mirror staring back at me right now as I'm reading mm-hmm. this. It feels very familiar. Yeah. The other thing that uh, really kind of drew me in at the beginning of the book, and I really like the way that this book kept changing as I was reading. That was really fascinating. But one of the early things that grabbed me was the romance aspect of it, it because Kara, our main character, is very, very attracted to her – was it her handler? Handler. Or, yeah, handler, it, yeah. Basically, yeah. Supervisor, supervisor. basically. Super, yeah. Uh, named Del. And she's this beautiful, very, you know, upper upper class woman. She was she's born in Wiley City. So Wiley City is the, the place where the Richie Riches live. And the only reason Kara gets to live here is because of the contract she has with this big corporation and the fact that she can be a traverser. And she's not a citizen. She's just got a visa. And she has to be there for like, I think it's like eight years total. And she's got four more years to go yeah, or something. She's a, before she's a she guest worker. Even... But there are rumors of layoffs. So she may not be able she to She might not even make on. it that long. Yeah. And she right. really has a thing for Dell, But Dell is just very sort of cold for her while also being like really really good at her job and taking great care of Kara when it comes down to like the work that they do together and Kara believes that the reason that Della is so cold to her is because Kara is from the the edges of society right. she's she's from outside and it's a class difference and so while she she loves Dell she also kind of hates her because she thinks she's just so snooty um so she spends a good chunk of the beginning of the book just needling her and it's it, like it it even before i before i learned the stuff that we learn later in the book which we can get to uh i i felt like it was just like okay i understand that you are romantically frustrated but you are just being mean <laughs> I, I really didn't i really like which is actually really good writing because mm. kara is is kind of yeah. mean <laughs> yeah oh yeah well and that's one one of the things that pulled me in right off the bat was this is a very spiky character, so I kind of want to know more about her. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, oh well, here are just all these nice people. Okay, and and as the premise of tra- traversing and everything starts to become clear, I'm like okay, that's that's a really interesting concept. I love the idea that oh, you can only go where you. Your uh, your counterparts don't exist. That's a great concept, and and this is com- I'm coming up to a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Oh no, um, good. One bring my, it on. One of, yeah. Bring it yeah. on. <laughs> one of my favorite touches right off the bat. This was this was probably the thing where it was like, okay, now I have to keep reading because as as we're going on, and I'm thinking, what would I do with that kind of setup? And sure enough, 
we find out that this isn't actually the Kara from this planet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the, the moment is that beautiful. she has a relative die and needs to go to a funeral. And there's this conversation about somebody coming to the funeral and you realize that she's well, she's, she's doing research in the in her own journals to find out who this person is, which is an odd detail. She's faking it. Yeah. And we discover that the story is that the real Kara appeared on this person's world and was basically killed by the transfer because there was already one there. Mm-hmm. And she Rap, and she sees this and basically takes all of her stuff and goes back and inserts herself in her life, which is, as it turns out, what Erica was saying, actually the reason that Dell is cold to her because yeah. there's history there that she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember because <laughs> she, she it wasn't, wasn't her. And she doesn't have a journal to give her a cheat sheet. Exactly. And it was a really good reveal, too, that's really done well throughout this book. There were things that happened that made a lot of sense when they happened, but I did not see them coming. And that's really refreshing. Um, But this reveal, at first, it's like, well, does she have amnesia? Like, did something happen? Because she's talking about um, going through the journals. And it's like, why are you going through your own journals trying to remember this person? And I thought it was just really, really well done. And it was revealed early. So we're in on it from pretty much the beginning, but it was kind of the first clue, um, I had that the book was going to keep me on my toes and it did. And I loved it. It was so good. Well, and that it's not just that, this is really good world building, but that this is really good plotting. And you don't always get both. Yeah, the the um the details too, you I think you start to judge judge Kara or or gauge her life based on what we learn about what out in the outland in Ashtown where her her uh her family is and there is sort of like a there's a religious uh, community there and she's got her her family and her brother and sister or i guess stepbrother and sister and and then you discover that she didn't have that family in her world and it changes the nature of her relationship and how you understand her relationship and something that you might have said was like this is the book makes you think this is where this character came from and then you realize this character came from something i think much worse than this mm. <laughs> and oh, yeah. this this kind of outland of the post apocalyptic future is actually a much more healthy stable kind of background than the actual character you're following got to live through and yet she also fiercely defends her sister and her brother even though they're not really hers it's fascinating and i think i yeah. think really really well done the brother ends up becoming there's so much i mean i mentioned the road warrior like the brother ends up signing up to be part of this like car a, a runner gang <laughs> Kind of taxi driver, car driving, gang yeah, they, runner. They build people. They build their own cars to be weapons and to ha- run people down. And they, they, and I like the touch too that these days they don't have the quote unquote parades that they used to in the time of like the old emperor. So it's a slightly less bloody world than it had been. But you still have this position of being a runner where it's really important that you take care. It, it's weird to me too that they're. I like that they're called runners. And yet they actually use vehicles. They're not doing any actual running. And they have to take care of their vehicles so carefully because their vehicle is like an extension of themselves in terms of their their power in society because they need to be able to, well, run people down and mash them to a bloody pulp if necessary. Well, and even even before the reveal of who she really is, I I love that one of the early chapters, it might have been the first chapter, ends with – uh, a rundown of several of her counterparts and how they died and how horrible their lives were. And it was just sort of like, okay, we're we're getting a range of things to compare and contrast here. And okay, this horrible dystopia isn't that bad compared to some of these. Yeah. Yeah. It was the- just such a, just like a, a, a just mind altering moment there in the middle of this chapter. And I'm like, okay, 
yes, now I want to know more. And yeah, it, that was the, the other thing. It just kept propelling me to want to know more. Now, one of the things that I really like about uh, the TV show Counterpart is that it's it uses J.K. Simmons. It, it uses the um, construction of parallel universes to discuss identity and and who we are fundamentally and how we are guided by the choices we make or our world around us. And the space between worlds does that a lot. We end up spending a lot of time in one particular alternate for the main universe, the main universe that has discovered this uh, this traversing technology. And it is a it is a rough place. Uh, we find that that uh, our Kara was actually uh, a different person, but uh, you know, different name, but same person. Uh, and she has a she's basically has a relationship with the um, warlord in charge in that world. Um, and we learn, like, we start to learn who the parallels are, like, who was she versus who the real world Kara is, who the, who the parallel, uh, characters that we've met are. There's, uh, there's Nick Nick, the, 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 the warlord of the parallel versus that character in the, in the regular one and his brother. It, another twist is that, the warlord's brother is Adam Bosch, the CEO of the company that invented so the interdimensional good. travel, and that mm-hmm. that his tech genius thirst for power is in that moment when you realize who it is, you realize, oh, he's bad. Because if he's bad over there, he's bad over here. And he is bad in both places in different ways. And uh, but there it's just it, it is this book exploring those questions of are we who we are fundamentally are we the you know the sum of all of our choices are we formed by uh, things that happen around us that we can't control and and we get with this, these two in, in particular we get to see all of that as these characters kind of uh, draw parallels with one another as and as Kara is trying to traverse the kind of wild universe where that's kind of lawless as well as this evil corporate controlled world over on on the other side i i really like the i'm not going to compare it to counterpart i am going to compare it to um inferno a classic episode of doctor who that that works too i was actually thinking more of like i'm i'm just a sucker for any kind of multiverse story that really examines characters from multiple viewpoints and like counterpart does a great job with that although i've only seen season one but um i was thinking of sarah pinsker's uh and then there were n minus one sure which is a novella about a convention so it's all the same character from different um different viewpoints different different parallel universes and this is one where it's it's sort of the inverse of that because for the most part, for most of the book, we only have the one Kara who is living in a parallel world that is, you know, not her own world. But when, every time she travels or traverses, she is meeting different versions of the people that are around her. Like you mentioned, you know, her brother and her sister who aren't really her brother and her sister. But it seems like she is bonded to them almost all the more strongly because of the fact that they are so different from how they ended up in her own universe. And also just the idea that it's really, really delved into quite a bit her feelings for for Nick Nick, who is, you know, in the world that she originally came from, she was his lover. And he, you know, was quite the abuser. And yet she really felt like she was truly loved by him. It was a really, it was a messed up relationship that read like it was it was written very well from somebody who understood that sort of a thing uh, or at least it was able to to fake it enough to to write it really well and the idea that then she meets the other nick nick who's not an emperor on i can't remember the number of that particular world um and how she really has trouble trusting him because the only nick nick that she can really trust the existence of truly is the one that she grew up with basically right. And it turns out he's, you know, at this point, like, he could turn out to be just as bad as all of the other Nicknicks in all of the other universes. But the experiences that he has had in that world that he has grown up in have not led him to that point yet. So he's not quite like a blank canvas, but he hasn't become as 
blood soaked i guess is the rest of the versions <laughs> of him so so eventually she she learns that throughout you know being visiting there a couple of times she's able to kind of come to terms with the fact that he is not the person that she knows from two other worlds or you know many many other worlds really and is able to sort of through her cleverness deliver that entire world kind of into his hands um practically on a silver platter because she comes to trust him enough to be able to do that i thought that was fantastic and i thought it was a really good examination of um how um i guess it's an interesting thought experiment into like nature versus nurture right Mm -hmm. so how much how much of our personality is ingrained and how much is inflicted upon us because of our environment so in the case of that version of of nick nick you know he's he doesn't become brutal because his brother stays and he's not you know the person next in line to be emperor and so he he does it like that that i don't know bloodlust or or uh brutality um isn't expected of him in the way that it is in the alternate realities and he he's you know a a fairly kind caring person um and I, i i liked that because you know it's written in such a way that different people or the same people in different universes really are fairly distinct while carrying key characteristics um and I'm, I'm wondering like were there character sheets where <laughs> they mapped all of this out because <laughs> it's it's just so well done that there are like there are cornerstones to uh personalities and then there are clear deviations where um experience has has changed them i don't know i I thought it was really interesting and the whole science fictional idea of it i think is really just built out well not just the multiverse but the idea that you can transport goods very you know fairly easily between them and you have these little like you know small check-in points and hideouts and stuff and a lot of what uh, Kara's job as uh, traverser is is to just go into these other worlds you know get to a place uh, that where they're storing data about this universe downloading that data bringing it home so that you can compare and see okay where are the divergences which world is producing more I don't know, clay and bricks and which world is producing more More sheep, wool and sheep. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You get where I'm going. Um, So and that then brings on the whole idea that, oh, my gosh, we might get replaced because, you know, the tech billionaire CEO is always trying to make more money, be more successful faster and faster. And if we can get it so that we can just download that information without having to send somebody through the interstices, then, you know, we can, that's fewer people that we have to pay. We don't have to support people living in Wiley City anymore. Um, and, she, you know, poor Kara even has to see somebody get canned uh, that was there kind of early in the book. Another traverser right. loses their job and gets stuck, you know, going back out into Ashtown. And <laughs> does Kara, like, bring her some apples or something? And it's just like, ouch. Um, and then she's practically going to end up in the same situation she's worried later on because they're they're thinking they're getting to the point where they're going to be able to download everything and everybody's worried about losing their jobs and uh, and that was another part that sort of rang true yeah. in the real world yeah been there mm-hmm. um uh, adam bosch one of the things that's a nice twist is not only that it's revealed that he's actually this um emperor on the other side and a bad dude um but he is <laughs> there's there's a moment where the realization hits that the reason that no other parallel universes have got this technology is that the what I don't forget what they call them whether it's like the security team or whatever but basically one of the th- the strategies that Adam Bosch the CEO of this company has is Anybody in other worlds that could invent this technology, he sends people to kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that moment because that's the <laughs> you, you, you're sort of accepting on its face that these are the people who discovered this thing. And so they're able to explore. 
but it's much more sinister than that. It, it's I got here first, but I'm not going to let anybody else. Right? He, he he's not a warlord. He's a tech CEO, but he is absolutely a warlord. He's, he's a tech warlord. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Across a transdimensional tech warlord. Wow. Hmm. That's the thing that happens. Literally playing in multiple dimensions. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I I remember wondering even before we found out. So he's he's been sending people to kill the other versions of himself so he can stay on top. Yeah. Um, but I remember even just when we were learning that Kara was a Kara from a different universe because the Kara from our our prime Earth had been sent to a place quote-unquote mistakenly, mm. uh, that already had a version of her, I was like, really? Yeah. Because that seems like a really big mistake for, for what otherwise seems to be a very well-oiled machine in terms of, of, of the way things work. And yeah, it turns out that that was probably the case, that she probably was, you know, sent there to whoops. Um, and, you know, but she came back just fine, except that it wasn't her. And Adam Bosch pretty much recognized that. From the from the get go, yeah, yeah, that's the funny thing too is that you're sort of put in the position of the the main character being like, ah, oh, nobody knows, and it turns out mm, some people know, and <laughs> the fact that you've got all these tattoos that are very specific and that you didn't have before is also a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of a give. There are a bunch of giveaways here, Kara, but she's like, mm-hmm. you know, we we get to learn that with her, and it's um, it's mm-hmm. it's a nice touch. Yep, just like we learned what maintenance is. Maintenance was the the name for the That's the division it. that takes care of like you think, you know, she mentions maintenance a number of times early in the book and you just think, "Oh, these are guys that are, you know, going into the nooks and crannies yep. of, of time and, you know, he, they're Oil the ones that are Oiling squeaky doors, sure, yeah, cleaning building, up. They're, they're building they're building the tech that that reports back and, you know, like saves all the data. But no, and there's, you know, the reason that they're wearing those big like wet uh, wetsuit like rubber black suits is because, you know, they just need to hide easily or something but no it's because there's a lot of blood splatter in that uh, line of work um the so the other thing that i really that i remember hey how about that from this book (laughs) (laughs) is so this book this book is titled the space between worlds and one of the most dramatic things that happens in this book is a traverse where we are there in the travel between worlds. And Kara talks a lot about this idea that there's basically like the goddess of the universe or something and the patron saint of the traversers. And, you know, that she controls the world between the space between the worlds. And um, in a climactic moment, um, she is going to travel back to her world. And this is how she basically kills the bad guy from the other side is she convinces him that she can take him with her and uh, he dies horribly (laughs) because there's already a version of him in that. Exactly. And yet, and and there's, there's that. And then she also makes a traverse to a place where she already exists and goes through a horrible thing and almost dies, but doesn't. But what's fascinating is the, there is the kind of this appearance of the, the goddess of the space between the universes. And it's this weird, almost mystical kind of thing that happens. And I just, I really like that part of it, that there's a, there is, we don't really understand what's going on in between the spaces. And there is this, this sense of something that is there. Um, and also just the, the sheer horror of kind of going through the experience where she almost dies and is nursed back to health. And then she takes the, the bad guy and he, he is, like pulped on the way back and i don't know th- those those images and the idea that they they talk about this the lady who's between the worlds but then you know there's a vision of that in that moment that i just i don't know i i i thought it was really evocative and uh interesting to not to make the act of transporting between the parallel worlds so remarkable instead of it being like because in, pa- in counterpart you're literally like just you know walk down a corridor it's not very exciting but here it's extremely dramatic and and almost spiritual in a way i had sort of more mixed feelings about that part of it i think i i I have a tendency i think to like things to be very concrete and that part of the book Mm -hmm. is a little bit more fuzzy it is you know she's talking about uh niame or niame i'm not sure how you pronounce it um 
And and yeah, like, you know, it, it comes up like in the very first chapter when she's talking about like these superstitions that, that people have about traversing and how some people totally believe uh, that she's a real thing and that she, you know, takes you in her hands and transports you from one world to the other. And some people think it's just it's a hallucination that's happening as you are <clears throat> going through the, you know, the process of of being ripped from one world and then inserted into another world your brain does but does fuzzy things and like i have to admit that i just sort of skimmed over that bit mm. in the first <laughs> chapter and then when it started to come back i was like oh i guess oh, i probably should have paid no. a little more attention to that cuz it looks like it's actually maybe a real thing or it's maybe just more hallucinations i don't know it's definitely left sort of more open ended as you know religion tends to be um but yeah so i would say that's probably my least favorite bit of the book was the uh was that part i i would like to posit that considering the parallel universe thing that uh in this case chekhov's guns <clears throat> should be chekhov's agony booths okay reference acknowledged and thank you oh okay sure. just yeah. saying <laughs> i'm sorry i did totally did not acknowledge that reference <laughs> <laughs> it's not often you can do another a different chekhov mm-hmm. i got it I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I, I, I didn't worry about you. I, I got that reference. Yeah, Scott got it. Scott, you gave this five stars <laughs> on Goodreads, so tell me how you liked it. I gave it five stars months ago, Jason. <laughs> See, here's here's my strategy when I'm reading a book for the just book club that ago. I have not just already read. Uh, <laughs> I wait until it's like a week or two before we record, and I read it so I will have a vague recollection of what has happened in uh, and it was two months ago, so that ship has sailed, people. Uh, but we just spoiled it for Does you. Does it sound familiar now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember the basics of the story, but there's a difference between remembering the basics of the story and then having something to say to someone, you know, having a discussion about it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> totally. That's fair. We're all, we're all, yeah. I, I mean, it's nice that we're having this conversation because it is coming back to me. I really like this book. Um, I think it's, it's funny because I mentioned A Memory Called Empire earlier. I found a memory called Empire got better as it went and it kind of accelerated. I'm not sure I think that about the space between worlds. I think I, I think it loses momentum toward the end. Um, mm. The first half of it, I was definitely going around to everybody saying, oh, we got to read this. We got to read this. <laughs> and then the last half, I was like, yeah, uh, you know, it's okay. There ends up being more uh, plot mechanics of the resolution of the power struggle and i'm going to bring in the people from ashtown and we're going to have a we're going to bring them into the city and then there's going to be a revolt against the the guy who's the ceo and we're going to get him out and we're going to you know like that that i found less interesting honestly than the intrigue about traveling between the worlds and seeing how people are different and going back out into the wastelands and all of those things the the last part of it i i thought was um I don't know, less compelling in that way because it did feel a little bit like, well, I got to finish yeah, this story now. <laughs> yeah. It hits it hits very yeah. conventional tropes and plot points by that point because it's like, oh, well, I, I have to wrap it up. And it does them well. I I liked it all the way through. Uh, but yeah, there there is a point where it's you, you can sort of sense the time to wrap it up. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you, Jason, you said it loses momentum. I feel like it doesn't necessarily lose plot momentum because I feel like there's more and more stuff happening faster right. and faster the farther right. it goes. But it definitely loses uh, momentum in terms of my rapt attention to the story toward the end. I think I felt the same way that you did. I was so invested at the beginning. And I think that uh, Makai Johnson does just such a, a fantastic job of like dribbling out clues and little bits of information. Like there's four parts to this book. And I felt like at every part, like sometimes, you know, you have books that are separated into chapters and you get part two. And part two just feels like a sort of generic delineation. And it's not really, it doesn't feel that different. I felt in this book, each part felt different enough to me that I was just like, okay, there was, there's, you know, some sort of shift, like we know something else at this point. And I was really invested in learning about the, the mechanics of world traveling and the mechanics of the basic world 
you know, prime earth and the differences between Wiley City and Ashtown and the structure of leadership in both of those places and how they interact with each other and how the different worlds interact with each other. And all of that stuff was just so well crafted and so well spoon fed to me throughout the, you know, first two or three parts of this book. But then, yeah, so it, it kind of it was mostly the point where we knew most of what we needed to know. And then it was kind of like... It, it became more of an action movie than a dramatic thriller, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, you know, once she is is trying to sneak into rooms that uh, she's not supposed to be in and getting electrified by the floor and almost dying and having to be saved and dragged away. Like, once it becomes more of, you know, Die Hard, uh, I think I was a little less invested just because it was, I don't know, maybe because it was less character driven at that point. Yeah. Like, at that point, it was it was really all about her and the, the things that she needed to do. And I felt like we weren't let in on quite as much of her thought process and what Kara was thinking toward the end. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit like, watch what Mechanical. I do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, I still thought it was, you know, tied up very nicely. And I feel like it definitely didn't leave me asking a bunch of questions at the end. Like, why didn't she do this? Or why didn't that happen? I think it was very skillfully done. I just, I feel like I cared so much about the the beginning that even though I cared less about the end of it doesn't mean I didn't like it. It just means it wasn't quite as great as the stellar, stellar opening bits of the book. Yep, I agree. I, yeah. I can go with that. And I think um, maybe a a slight-ish tweak that would have helped me is if um, Kara and Dahl's relationship had been explored a little bit more in the last bit because mm. that starts to ramp up as all of the action starts happening. And I think that they could have drawn those of us who are are in it for characters rather than machinations um, – like leaning into that a little bit more would have been um, more interesting for me. Like I still love the book. I gave it five stars. Um, I recommend it to anyone, but um, I, I think that that would have been helpful for me as like you, Eric, as someone who's, who's looking for great character moments to have that developed a little bit hmm. more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I will say, I remember this, that, uh, and this is a very slight problem, and I don't even know if it's a problem, but it's it's an observation of, you know, this is a book about uh, this giant company and these, you know, multi-universe spanning, hopping back and forth. And yet it's, there aren't that many characters and they're all related to yeah. uh, the main yes. character in mm-hmm. ways that are satisfying as you're reading them because it's a twist and you're like, oh goodness, that's, you know, uh, I didn't expect that to to happen. But then when it's like the the age old problem of are there like four people in this multiverse that all know each other, uh, and so it's it's a minor quibble because uh, I don't think that that was the 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 point of the book, right? But uh, it, it's, you know, it just felt a little small. But, it, but it maybe it out. was maybe it was though because I mean it, it's kind of depressing to think about it this way. But you know the only worlds that they are able to access are the ones that are close enough to the world yeah. that they have, and in right. this world that they have, and the ones that they're able to access, the people who have the power are this one small family. You know, it's it's Nick Nick and his his brother, and because of you know the the few things that happen to to change things from world. To world, you get either an Adam who is in Wiley City or one who stays and becomes an emperor on his own or one who dies because of his own father. I think I think maybe part of the the crux of this book is that, you know, in a world where the power lies in these few hands, you're going to end up with some sort of crap and it's all going to be similar <laughs> crap, but it's going to be crap nonetheless because, you know, these are the, these are the people that actually have the, the wherewithal to, to make things happen. Yes, I think you're you're right, Eric. And what I meant by not point of the book is something I didn't say, uh, so I was disagreeing with myself because I was thinking uh, well, another way to do this is to make it, you know, kind of like a, a interdimensional space opera, uh, and that is certainly not what this book is, uh, and and I don't think that's what. Th- well, obviously, it's not what the author wanted to do because that's not the story they wrote. Uh, but that is one could conceive of a book much like that that has similar themes that is set on a much grander scale. But I think you're right, Erica, that forcing it 
onto these fewer characters, it just makes it even more depressing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm I'm somebody who always notices the law of the economy of characters and mm-hmm. and uh this book has it and and um I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott. I also went through the process that Erica went through, which is to think, yeah, but it, this world really seems to only be the one city and the outlands and these these are all close together and so is it surprising that you know the person there is like the person here and that there there aren't that many characters because it's people in Kara's life and the people in Kara's life are pretty much the same people in all of the universes even though they're in different roles and and so I I let it go but I did, definitely had that thought which is you know this is a smaller story in a way despite it spanning universes and all that it is about this character and who she is and how she relates to other people and what it does it mean that she is who she is and that that's the story that's trying to be told here but i did i did think like well wait a second it's the same guy really yeah yeah <laughs> well cuz you dead. think like you see you see tv shows like star trek or or doctor who where it's it's an alternate universe and it's all the same actors because we already have them on contract so that makes sense right and in a book, you're like, well, you could do anything. You have, uh, you know, an unlimited budget. And so this was clearly a choice. Yeah, well, so she constrains right. herself in her premise in order to right. in order to explain why she's telling the smaller story that she's right. telling, which right. I think is brilliant, right? It's like with only 300, it's only the ones that are very close. So, like, she lays it out from mm-hmm. the start. To, in order to try and, and sort of to say sort of that's it why down. it's not like that. That's why there yeah, isn't right. something where there's like sentient rabbits who have – it's not <laughs> close enough. Well, I want to read that book. And I would love to see like just the outlining and the process of development and, and again, you know, keeping all the characters straight, all the worlds straight. You know, what are what are her notes like? My God. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I – um. I disagree with like you have essentially an infinite budget with a book because I I don't know. I personally, because I'm not good with names and I'm not good with character descriptions. I like a Mm. small cast of characters in my books Mm. (laughs) because for one thing, again, I like the deep dives in characters. I like getting to know characters. And if you, if you have, you know, a, a great swath of characters, think like Game of Thrones, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. the, I was just going to say. Y- yeah, you get these <laughs> books where either it's a series that's going to take 500 years to be written or <laughs> um, or something where it's all really shallow um, on the character department. And then it is more about the actions the armies the wars the you know whatever the driving forces in the story and so for me i would much rather have a constrained cast of characters and you know the the device to do it like everyone else has said is really really good in this book it's just you know so the choice choice she made to tell it this way and and it's fun it's actually kind of funny to see it the rules laid out that way because the author knows very well the infinite possibilities of parallel universes and she doesn't want to write. She just wants like, no, no, just this. And I, I like, I don't know if I've ever heard uh, uh, or, or read a story about parallel universes constrained in this way where it's sort of like they can't diverge yeah. too much or they got, they, they are lost to us if they diverge too much. Um, I like that. It's like, because I mean, that's what I always assume about Star Trek and and the Mirror Universe is how is it that all the same people are in the same places with the same jobs yeah. on the same <laughs> ships? And the answer is, well, there's an infinite number of parallel Contracts. universes. The only one you cross over with is the one that has the same actors in the same sets because <laughs> it's good. I recommend people read it. Everybody agree with that? I think we all have a good time yeah. reading it. Everything oh, yeah, I remember was good. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, and, I remember telling lots of people to read it and and not one of I've, them has been disappointed and i've got yet. the good read, reading ratings right here scott so i know you liked it it's, i, I, of I it. did i just i recommend to people if, if you plan to talk about it with friends who've also read it uh don't wait a few months don't wait to two do months <laughs> <laughs> um, and as the resident audiobook reader uh oh. audiobook narration is excellent nice good well now that we've uh, we've done our contractual obligations to discuss the book that we vaguely remember, <laughs> it's time for my favorite part of the book club, where I go around and ask everybody if there are books that they've read recently that they would like to 
mention, perhaps recommend, perhaps scare people away from reading. I don't know. <laughs> uh, if there's anything else you want to throw out there, we last met as a book club in July, I believe. It's been a very long wow. time. So there's uh, an opportunity if you've got something to say. Aline, I know this is the most recent book you read. Do you have any other things you want to throw out? So I haven't been able to read just because my life is chaotic and the world is chaotic and I just don't have the focus right now. But some of my favorite books that I read last year, um, Ali Broche, I don't if you have hyperbole and a half. Um, oh, yeah wrote uh, a book that was published last year. It's just kind of like a surprise. Here's a book. Um, and it's really good. It's a really good um, perspective on, you know, kind of healing and trauma and healing and depression. And, um, you know, she has such an excellent way of breaking real life events down and talking about them like tragic things that you don't feel so bad reading because she does it. <laughs> she's like very entertaining. So and is this solutions and other problems, solutions and other problems. Yep. And it's, it's very, very, very good. Um, another book that surprised me, this surprised me to enjoy was I actually read 11, 11, 63 by Stephen King, mm. which mm. is, um, one man's attempt to go back in time and save um, JFK um, to prevent his assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually not a Stephen King fan. I I like very few of his books that I've read. I don't seek them out, but I really did enjoy um, 11-22-63. I, I love that book. That might, I don't know if it's my favorite Stephen King book, but I, I really do love that book. It is not like other Stephen King books in a lot of ways. Which it, I think is why I like it. It, it, it is in some ways, but mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's not in other ways. And it it's it's an elegy. It's, it's sad. It's somebody who remembers the 60s, but also knows the 60s is a long, you know, long ago kind of era. Um, it's tragic in more ways than just being about JFK assassination. I, I, I just, I liked, I liked how, how sad it was, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I think it, it was, was beautiful. I, it was I do really like good. Stephen King and I haven't read it, so I, maybe I should pick that one up. Yeah. It, I, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Um, another one of my favorites was uh, Star Daughter by Shveta Thakrar. Shveta Thakrar. Thank you. Ah, uncanny um, author, Erica. Yes. Yes. yes yeah, you have published is. her a number of times. Yeah. She's great. And you have to say her name out loud. So there you go. <laughs> and I've met her, but, you know. Um, so Stardaughter is her debut novel. It's a, a young adult novel. I really liked it. It's um, in the Indian mythological realm. Uh, and I thought it was really, really well done. And then the last one that I read that surprised me, not the last book I read that surprised me, but a book I really enjoyed was um, Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. And it is like the zombie apocalypse from the perspective of a crow. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, in Seattle, and most of it takes place in Seattle, which is where I live. And so there were... Um, there were scenes that that the um that the crow was describing i was like i know exactly what you're talking about but like before this this uh place is revealed like i knew exactly where he was um and i knew exactly what was happening because it was described in such good detail so if you're in seattle um and have been to the aquarium specifically um there's a scene in there that's really uh kind of funny if you read it knowing what the reveal of that scene is anyway. Um, so I think those are mine. Um, what I would appreciate from listeners if they want to get on Twitter and tweet at me is give me your recommendations for books that are really, really easy to read because okay. that's what I need right now. All right. That's good. Erica, do you have uh, anything to recommend? Uh, well, I mean, I also have not been reading all that much 
Um, so I think since the last time we talked, besides this book, maybe it's just been a couple. Um, the last two books I read, and it's been a while since I read either one of them now, uh, where I have been going through and rereading because I needed some comfort in 2020. Uh, I started rereading the Fallen Blade series by Kelly McCullough. And it was one of those things where it's like I, you go back and I had only read it once, once and I was like, oh, God, I hope it doesn't actually suck. <laughs> And like, I just, I was wrong that first time. Thankfully, it's it's still good. And I still really like it. So I'm only up to the second book because I have been going so slow in terms of reading over this last year uh, for the same many of the same reasons that uh, that Aline already mentioned. So Baird Blade is uh, one of the most recent books that I have read. It's the second book. Um, the main character of this series is named Arl Kingslayer, um, and he used to be an assassin in service to a goddess, but his goddess got murdered, um, and, and she was the basically the goddess of justice, and he would assa- assassinate people for justice, and then justice died and he was you know left sort of a, a broken man and in the first book he sort of starts to pull himself together and in the second book it's it's a little bit more of that and uh his um his his all the time companion is uh basically a living shadow who's basically his secret partner and they can do magic together and it's just a really cool magic system that is kind of unlike anything else that i have read anywhere else and returning to it just sort of feels like it's like oh i haven't been to this city for a really long time i remember that park over there oh i remember the last time i stayed in this hotel it sort of has that that feeling of like oh i'm i'm meeting with old friends i'm going to see places i've been before so not only is it a good book on its own but it's a nice book to revisit at times like this it's bringing me comfort um and the other book that I read finally was Paul Cornell's Last Stand in Litchford. It is the final novella in the Witches of Litchford series. And I, if you listen to a lot of these book clubs uh, and incomparable episodes, you might know that I like beginnings. Beginnings are where it's at. I don't genuinely dig endings, but holy cow. And I will say I'm biased because Paul and actually Kelly as well are both friends. But Paul stuck the landing on this one. I was I was not sure uh, if he was going to be able to to pull it all together after the, the second to last um, novella, which I'm not going to say what happens in it, but there's some, no, there's some stuff. I, I've only read the first one, so, but I mm-hmm. bought available <laughs> in a collection, an ebook that has all the novellas <gasps> in it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I I highly recommend buying all of them together because now that it has come to an end, I can say with, with some authority, yeah, it's good from, from the beginning to the end. And I really, really, I mean, this last one might might actually be my favorite of all of them. I think he does such a good job of uh, bringing the characters to a place that really makes sense. This is, I can say, a very strongly character-driven story. Uh, there are three women who are the main characters throughout most of this, and they each one of them goes on a journey that just feels so real. Uh, Litchford is a little town in rural England that also happens to be on the border of Fairyland. And what that means and the implications that that has for our world continue to change and grow throughout the novellas. So I'm not going to say too much about exactly what happens in this book or or why, but I will say that it flows beautifully from the earlier ones and gets bigger and wider without actually getting bigger it still feels like you know it's it's not urban fantasy it's definitely like rural small town fantasy and it stays that way uh but in a very delightful and possibly world-shaking way so yeah highly recommend that uh, that whole series all right david well, since it's been uh, since July, I've got about seventy-eight. No, okay. I haven't got pick, no. pick two. <laughs> no, no, I've, no. I, I have five that are, that are very short. Um, I have two nonfiction ones: Conan Doyle for the Defense by Marguerite Fox, which is about Arthur Conan Doyle getting involved in a in a real life court case. Uh, it's fascinating and it's beautifully written. Uh, and the End of Everything by our favorite astrophysicist Katie Mack. Yep, which is probably the best explanation of how the, the universe could end and uh, it's delightful it's fun it's fun how do you make that fun um <clears throat> that's for editing out and then on the fiction side uh i discovered well i had known that donald westlake was approached to come up with a concept for a bond film they never used it so before he died, he turned it into a novel called Forever and a Death. 
And if you like the Parker novels that he wrote under the name Richard Stark, or you like the Dortmunder novels, which he wrote under his own name, or you just like Donald Westlake in general, this is what a Bond story by Donald Westlake would be like. Uh, the other two are straight up mystery novels. Uh, they're both delightful. One is called the third. <laughs> one is called the Thursday Miss. Damn it. One is called the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, who you might know from the game shows Pointless and Richard Osman's House of Games, which are both British game shows, but they're on YouTube. Go search them out. They're a lot of fun. And it's a it's about a group of retirees at a a uh, an assisted care facility who gather once a week to solve cold cases and they call themselves the Thursday Murder Club and all of a sudden there's a murder on the premises <gasps> gasp and it's kind of brilliant and i love how he builds the puzzle and how he he teases out details of sort of the ringleader of the club because she's not just a kindly old Jessica Fletcher type um, she's, she's had a career. She's not a mystery writer. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's delightful. And, uh, it, it's one of the most fun mysteries I've read in a long time. Uh, the other most fun mystery I've read in a long time is called Fortune Favors the Dead by Stephen Spotswood. Uh, I should say Stephen is a friend of mine and a playwright, and this is his first novel. It is, uh, set in 1942 it's kind of noirish, but it's also kind of funny. And it tips its hat to Agatha Christie and Craig Rice and, and Nero Wolf a little bit with uh, a, uh, a lady private investigator who takes on a new apprentice who's a runaway from a circus. And the two of them are delightful. Um, I, don't want, I don't want to say anything more about it. Just find, find that one. And read it. That might be the best mystery novel I've read all year. All right. Scott, what do you remember? <laughs> uh, nothing. <laughs> See, I won't take up much time. Oh. I don't remember anything. Uh, I, I do remember that this year is the, or not last year, not this year, uh, was the year that I joined the folks who listen to audiobooks. I have Ooh. never really listened to any audiobooks, uh, but I had the realization that if you listen to an audiobook, it's like a podcast that is well written. Uh, and so. <laughs> a what now? <laughs> so I, uh, and with a, uh, it was a confluence of events of that realization plus the realization that my library, uh, has them and I could borrow audiobooks from my library. <laughs> so as I was uh, running outside this year, I listened to two books. Uh, one about uh, everyone's favorite topic, thermonuclear war, and one oh. about uh, the sinking of the Lusitania, uh, both narrated or read by the same person who has a great voice, and which is why I listened to one after the other, because I really like this guy's voice. Uh, so Command and Control by Eric Schlosser. I think that's how it says his name, uh, but probably not. Uh, I read, uh, I think I mentioned in one of these podcasts, I read a book called The Doomsday Machine, uh, which is also about thermonuclear war. That book is horrifying because you realize that many more people on this planet can start a thermonuclear war by accident uh, or on purpose than you think. It's not just the president of the United States who can launch America's nuclear arsenal. Many more people can do it. Uh, command and control is horrifying because you realize that uh, someone can cause a, a near nuclear accident by dropping a tool down a shaft. Uh, <laughs> and so – and that's it. They just had the wrong tool. They dropped it near nuclear disaster. Uh, it's a great, very long book about how complex systems uh, are, are rife with things that can go completely wrong, even if you have the stringent, uh, most stringent safety precautions uh, in mind. And uh, the one about the Lusitania is Dead Wake by Eric Larson. Eric Larson is a very uh, uh, well-known uh, nonfiction author. He's written 
lots and lots of best-selling books. Uh, his favorite book that I have read is The Devil in the White City, uh, which is a great book. So if you haven't read that book, read that book. Uh, Dead Wake is also good. Very sad. It's about the sinking of the Lusitania. Um, so you kind of know how it ends, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, Surprise uh, sinking <laughs> ruins otherwise exciting boat book. <laughs> but the thing I didn't know, and maybe other people did, and I'm just a fool, is that not a lot of people died because the boat sank but there are many other reasons uh, and it's it's super interesting it's uh, you hear uh the u-boat captain who sunk the lusitania kept a very detailed diary and uh eric larson has it uh, well he had access to it and so it's just fascinating to read uh what's happening on the lusitania what's happening on this u-boat and he's just a fantastic uh writer who turns these uh, kind of, you know, dull lessons from history into the exciting pieces of actual life that happened that they actually are. So uh, check out that book if you want. I mean, it's not an uplifting story because a bunch of people die and uh, a, a world war is happening. Uh, but it's more uplifting than control and command <laughs> because uh, no nuclear weapons. So yeah. uh, and I've been reading a lot of other stuff, but uh, we'll stick with those two. Okay. I, let's see, I'm going to mention a book by everybody. This podcast, uh, not favorite, but uh, frequently talked about author. You know who it is, Scott. KSR. (gasps) Ah. What? That was going to be my guess. Various noises, various noises. Uh, (laughs) I read the ministry. Kevin Scott Reynolds. uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's The Ministry for the Future. I have it on my Kindle. Um, And... I I want to give it a mixed review, if only to say there are. I I think it is an attempt to write a realistic depiction of what the world will be like over the next fifty years because of climate change, and I think that it's fairly effective in doing that. However, I will say that it struggles to have a story. There are some characters that intersect. There is one sort of main character. Her story isn't particularly interesting, but it does have a few action moments in it that feel almost obligatory, like, well, we've got to have some characters, you know, and we've got to have some action. Um, but it's 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 good, the, the, the way he tells the story about these climate events and how different countries react and a way possibly out of the climate disaster. I think that's all good. There are also chapters, I remember we we complained about this with his New York book, that there would be chapters that were like, hey, author here, wrote a white paper for you to read, going <laughs> to drop it in this chapter. And oh boy, does he do that in this book too. There are a bunch of things that are very much like, uh, here's my idea for how we could change the currency system to fix global warming. And it's like, mm, why is this in this novel? <laughs> Uh, like literally just dumping his research out into the book. And I didn't appreciate that stuff. I thought it was super boring and bad, but, um, the other parts of it are pretty good. And again, it's not a fun read because it really is like serious disasters of, and and consequences of, uh, of global warming. And if you think everybody's just going to stand around and be sad that there's natural disasters, I think again, because the political ramifications of that and the, the stability of the planet ramifications are enormous so uh you know marginal thumbs up i guess but there's a lot in it that uh, there were several points where i thought oh boy this book is going to be a real slog and then um it it uh again i think he he realized that he needed to have enough characters for you to follow for you to get to the end and i did eventually get to the end so (laughs) split sort of thought about ksr's uh book there um, really quickly, I read, uh, I think right as we were recording back in July, I did read two books that I liked a lot, The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal. So I'll mention that so again. Yeah. Everybody oh, yes. already knows about it, but it's a great book. Yes. Uh, the City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, oh, I read that too. It's I so good. I loved it. I, 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 I'm not done with it oh. yet. I'm actually, that's what I'm reading now. Oh. Don't spoil it. No. Uh, I, I loved it. <laughs> um, first in a, a new series, um, I was surprised by what it was. It was not what I expected. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was really good. Um, and then some other books that I've read, uh, lately, I want to just give a, a brief mention that I read Harrow the Ninth, the Locked Tomb number two following. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was I very good. I haven't read it yet. And I keep hearing 
things. Super disappointed by it. I think oh, that I think that yes. uh, Tamsin Muir made a choice to make a very different kind of story, and then she also decided to construct it in a way where it's sort of like a tricky thing that's in two timelines. And um, I, I think trick- it, I think it is a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree because the trick is not all that shocking. And no, the language, and I'm someone who likes uh, a book that is full of difficult to follow language, uh, and it just felt like it was a struggle for her to write compelling, difficult to follow language. Yeah, and I didn't think the characters were particularly compelling. Um, I I think one of the big problems is when the best thing about your first book is the relationship between two characters. And one of those characters essentially doesn't appear in the second book and never together. <laughs> That's tough. That's a tough one. Anyway, I appreciate wow. the ambition of that book, but I don't think it works. Uh, and uh, I'll just throw it out there. John Lacare died and I read, uh, I've never read any of his books. So I read Call for the oh. Dead, his first book, which is kind of a spy murder mystery. It was uh-huh. delightful. And so I will yes. read more of those. I thought you were oh, just going to yes. rejoice in his death. Yes. <laughs> just go out there, John Lacare. Did he did he die natural causes or was it spycraft? Oh. No, no, he was very old. It was natural causes. Uh, anyway, I call for the dead. I enjoyed it, so I'll just read more of those uh, old spy books. Old yeah, those those are books. excellent. The, the the for a guy who was just working as a spy and it's his first novel, I'm like, wow, the craft in this is actually really quite amazing. Oh, I think this guy, fellow has a future. This Lagare fellow <laughs> was, he, young, was he a spy? Yes, uh, yeah, that, yes, he I was. know nothing about allegedly. Him at all. Yeah, no, he was. He, I think now it can be revealed now that he's dead. He can be revealed, but yes, he was. He worked for the British intelligence oh. service and well, that, had to get that makes sense. Had to get his Let's book, his first couple books, approved by his bosses, mm-hmm. uh, and they mm-hmm. and they made him write under a pseudonym. And yeah, the story checks out because the Sandbaggers is the best spy show right? I've ever seen, and it was written by a guy who was totally a spy and had to get his yep. episodes checked out by. By yeah. I love that the British spy agencies just are populated entirely with novelists and screenwriters. It's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever. We don't care. We need more. Yeah, they they were all like, take that, Fleming. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, those are some books. So. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of The Incomparable. We talked about a book that we didn't remember and then some other books we sort of remembered. And we like books. Books are nice. We'll be back in less than six months to talk about other books that we're reading. <laughs> How about that? We will try to make a, a put a, you know put a little pin in the calendar somewhere. It's the kind of calendar you can put a pin in, let's say. It's a cork-based mm-hmm. calendar. Mm-hmm. And we'll try to come back and talk about uh, uh, some more books that we want to talk about. But until then, I want to thank my guests for being here and for trying real hard to remember what happened in this book. <laughs> Aline Sims, thank you. Thank you. Read this book. It was good. Yeah, it was good. David J. Lore, thank you. Thank you. The The reason I didn't remember it is because a different David read it. You're not the same David. <gasps> no, no, you're I'm David not Q. the same Lord. David. No! Mm-hmm. Eric Hansine, thank you. I I am the same Erica Ensign. <laughs> Sorry, folks. And uh, and Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you, Jason. And thanks everybody <laughs> out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. I'm going to talk like Scott from now on. We'll see you next week. <laughs>